The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, recording live from the International Leadership Association Conference 2016 in Atlanta. I'm delighted to welcome George Papandreou as our next guest. As the Prime Minister of Greece from 2009 to 2011, George Papandreou understands leading in turbulent times. A public servant for many years, he served among other posts as Minister for National Education and Religious Affairs and Minister of Foreign Affairs before following in his father and grandfather's footsteps to become Greece's Prime Minister. His election to office after the devastation of the global financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 came with a mandate to increase transparency and reduce corruption in Greece's government while humanizing globalization and its economic impacts on Greece's citizens. So welcome, George. Thank you for agreeing to meet with me. Thank you, Maureen. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your history and how did you get here, your personal story. Well... I was born in the States and, mm-hmm. uh, and I grew up first years of my life in California. Uh, it happened my father had left Greece mm-hmm. when he was somewhat of a young man and mm-hmm. uh, the reason was that he was uh, there was an authoritarian dictator in, in, uh, in Greece and uh, he was opposing it and uh, mm-hmm. then jailed and beaten up and decided that uh, he wouldn't be safe in his own country. So he was a refugee and um, uh, later on, uh, some years later, I also was a refugee. Our whole family left. There was another dictatorship in Greece in the 60s. And I went to, um, we basically were uh, in Sweden and then in mm-hmm. Canada. So I traveled quite a bit. But my grandfather was also a refugee at times. Six times in his life he was either jailed or exiled fighting for democracy. And my great-grandfather also. So I have a, a, a deep empathy for what refugees go through. But I also have seen that uh, refugees... The narratives we now have about refugees is some kind of populist narratives or demagogical narratives are very wrong. When you are a refugee, first of all, it means you are a person that wants some change because you aren't happy with your country. Mm-hmm. You're coming from a place where something bad was happening. War, dictatorship, mm-hmm. uh, could be a natural catastrophe. But you want to see change. Mm-hmm. So... We should see refugees as a potential for really changing their mm-hmm. societies. Mm-hmm. And I had this experience because uh, I was in Sweden and then um, I returned to Greece after the dictatorship and got into politics mm-hmm. and took leadership positions. At some point, the Swedish Prime Minister, uh, Olof Palme, and luckily he was later assassinated, uh, he invited me to one of his 
campaigns, political campaigns, pre-electoral campaigns. And what he wanted to do is, is to talk to the Swedish people about why it was important to have refugees in Sweden. Mm, why they okay. had, why they were why were they were accepting refugees mm-hmm. from different parts of the world, and he would ask me to speak, and I spoke in Swedish because I had lived in Sweden, and then he would say, "Well, you see, refugees are important because they are change agents. They go back mm-hmm. to their homes, they go back to their countries when the situation allows, and they bring with them a lot of skills that they've learned. It could mm-hmm. be practical skills, it could be political skills, it could be the fact that they've seen democracies working. Mm-hmm. So, let's say a refugee in the U.S." Many people may stay here, they may mm-hmm. integrate as and become, you know, very proud American citizens, mm-hmm. but others will go want to go home. And they will certainly keep ties with their homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. that means that they will have seen, and that was something of my experience, they will have seen a different society. They will have seen that, you know, things can be different, that, you know, they don't, you don't have mm-hmm. to have these dictatorial regimes and you can, or you can function in different ways, or how you organize your schools or how you organize your local community. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you innovate and so on. And um, so Philip Palmer was saying, well, we had in Sweden Bruno Kreisky, who became the Chancellor of Austria. We had Billy Brandt, who became the Chancellor of Germany. We had Oliver Temple, who became the head of the African National Congress, Mandela's, Nelson Mandela's party. Mm-hmm. And they were all in exile, and then they became change agents. So why don't we see refugees as mm-hmm. the future engineers and architects of democratic and peaceful societies mm-hmm. and diverse societies. Investing in them is, in fact, investing in the future of these countries. Mm-hmm. And it's very important for another, another reason, because we are so interconnected now that a problem mm-hmm. in Syria, we know, becomes a problem in our societies in Europe mm-hmm. or in the United States or anywhere else in the world. So mm-hmm. we are interconnected. Therefore, we need to see leaders and people who can be change agents and refugees can be as investment in a better world and a, and a more just society and a more peaceful world too. It's such a flip on its head given some of the rhetoric we've been hearing recently and that refugees are a problem and I recognize there are challenges. There are financial situations and integration and teaching languages and short term there are definitely complications that I don't think you're saying we should ignore. Absolutely. The, you know, this is one thing we, we have to deal with. And, uh, you know, our capacity as societies to bring in new mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. populations uh, is, you know, there are certain certain uh, amount of, of, how would you say, um, of the influx at, at certain periods of time. Mm-hmm. It also means that we should develop policies to help integrate. Uh, so investing in education uh, and skills, but not seeing them as sort of passive, not seeing refugees as passive, seeing them as people who can be entrepreneurial. I know in parts of the United States, uh, Syrians have created startups and uh, been mm-hmm. very, very, very useful for their cities. The, um, uh, I know Syrians are great cooks. They have great, mm. great culinary mm-hmm. uh, skills. So, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, there, there, are, there are possibilities, but yes, we do need then policies. Mm-hmm. to help, uh, not only help them, but help society integrate them. And um, if we don't do that, then of course it becomes more of a contentious issue in a neighborhood, and school. And I remember when we had Albanians come to Greece, we had hundreds of thousands, and uh, we had to provide for schooling for them. And a lot of them were undocumented. Mm-hmm. But I was in Minister of Education, I said, it's better to have them in school. 
than to have them out of school. Yeah. And after two or three or four years, those they're, kids... They're not employable. They're not employable. They'll be, you know, marginalized. They'll move into mm -hmm. crime. They won't, they won't be able to, to, to participate in society. The fact mm -hmm. that they got into schools, they became great students, very hardworking mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. contributing to the economy, and integrated. You know, they speak Greek, can't tell the difference. So, the... Um, this is, I think, the kind of approach we need. And walls mm -hmm. will just not work. Mm -hmm. People find ways to get around walls. And not only that, mm -hmm. but with walls, you will keep out the good guys. Mm -hmm. And if there are some criminal activities, mm -hmm. and they will be in our countries and in other countries, mm -hmm. these guys will be able to find ways around the walls. But the average person who is, you know, just looking to see for a better life because, you know, they have political or whatever problems in, in their country, mm -hmm. uh, they will have more difficulties, uh, but then you will lose that opportunity. You know, I think it, you're speaking globally, and I'm speaking of just a single data point, but I had a young friend a decade ago when the Hutu and Tutsi fighting was happening in Africa, and there was a, a young man from Eritrea who lived in our neighborhood, and just very industrious and a brilliant young man. We benefited from his presence. Keeping him out wouldn't have served. He probably would have died. Right. And yeah. now he became a productive member of our, our little community. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, having been a refugee, um, first of all, I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I can, you know, I, the fact that I was in Sweden and uh, Canada and so mm -hmm. on also brings, brings memories and, and bonds and, and appreciation and love. And, you mm -hmm. know, when you you know, held out your hand to help, that is respected and that's appreciated and that will be remembered. So these people will become maybe more patriotic than many others. They will really say, you know, mm -hmm. I love America or mm -hmm. I love Sweden or I'm so happy. Of course there are difficulties and they will, mm -hmm. you know, the different cultures, but they will say, you know, this country has, you know, opened mm -hmm. its arms. And that is very much appreciated. And of course, uh, I appreciated the fact that, you know, we were open. Sweden opened up their arms to us and, and provided us with safety and, uh, and work and, uh, mm -hmm. and education and, and, and even the experience. The friendships, mm -hmm. the ties you made, mm -hmm. this is also very important for business, for trade, for and even for, you know, the fact that we are living in a more global world. So, you know, if you are in a community uh, and you, there are different groups, you know, that should be seen as, well, this is a, a window to understanding different cultures, and that mm -hmm. is good for our younger generation to be able to have this contact, because that's the kind of world we'll be living in. At least for me, it seems that the more ties we have of friendship, the more peaceful world we reside within. Absolutely, and uh, the more understanding we have of each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are different traditions, and sometimes they're difficult, but I would say on the whole, you know, we have so, there's much more in common that we mm -hmm. have human beings from wherever yeah. we come. And uh, if you if you bring out that commonality and use the diversity, the positive diversity as learning mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, and fun and celebrate mm -hmm. it. And, you know, we're also, I think we're also something which um, is important that as we're in a globalizing society, we will have to be able to create a world where we have some basic values we all agree on. And uh, so that, in a sense, is what there's a German philosopher that talks about this for Europe, but I think it's also for the world. Okay, we have we all have our national or ethnic backgrounds, mm -hmm. and we're very proud of our identities, and we are patriotic to our countries. But 
we may need now to think of being patriotic to values. Oh, I like that. I have not heard that. Yeah, sort of when you say sort of constitutional patriotism, you know, mm. it's basically or, or patriotic to values. So, and patriotic to values will unite us. So we, you know, we share these values, and that's, and to do that, you need dialogue, you need integration, mm-hmm. you need people to talk about these issues when there are differences. And I think building that that means that we can build and govern this global world, which mm-hmm. is bringing us together in a better way. So you shared a story this morning about that idea of uniting disparate communities and countries with what you did um, in building the bridge with Turkey as Prime Minister of Greece. Can you share that? Because, again, it sounds like we have windows of opportunity to create those alliances, and your demonstration this morning was a beautiful example of that. It's uh, it's partly... When sometimes when the stars align, mm-hmm. but then you have to use the opportunity, yeah. and that's the time when you have to. And sometimes you have to take a risk. And it's mm-hmm. Politically, it's you know, that time the Greece and Turkey were almost at the brink of war. There was a sort of a sense that we can never live together. We're, we're sort of eternal foes. But I really had, uh, as I was actually Minister of Foreign Affairs, and I had to, I have to see if we can try. I was lucky to find a good counterpart on the other side, also Ismail Cem, who was the Foreign Minister of Turkey. But um, we decided to do a simple thing, which mm-hmm. was to, to have a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though that was taboo, mm-hmm. you know, you don't touch, you don't, you're not, you don't want to mm-hmm. have anything to do with the enemy. But that dialogue opened up a window of opportunity. Mm-hmm. We started seeing that there are certain areas where we actually had common interests, where we actually could benefit, mm-hmm. where there were win-win situations. Uh, we started working on the more easy issues, mm-hmm. but still very important. So it could be things like uh, avoiding double taxation. So mm-hmm. if a company from Turkey comes to Greece or from Greece goes to Turkey, they don't pay taxes twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, business investment, tourism, and then we started getting into more difficult issues like energy, working together. We went to, we moved to issues like uh, uh, demining our borders so that people would oh, be blown yeah. up. Uh, these were important issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there was an opportunity out of a crisis, a very difficult crisis, an earthquake. Mm-hmm. And the uh, earthquake took place in Turkey, and uh, I decided that um, it was a few months into my term as a minister, I said, Rather than just say the normal thing, like we were so sad and condolences and mm-hmm. so on, I said, mm-hmm. let's help them. Uh, even though they are our foes or they are seen as our foes, they mm-hmm. are, first of all, human beings and they need our help. And that's where I think uh, you can tap into sometimes hidden desires or hidden dreams that people have because, okay, people were unhappy and they, you know, our relations were not good. But that didn't mean that they didn't want to see yeah. good relations. That mm-hmm. They didn't want peace. They did want peace. So when you tapped into that, it came out. It was expressed. It was mm-hmm. permissible to express that. And there was a huge outpour of, of help, and people gave blood, and mm-hmm. brought in blank blankets, and medicine. We sent over a brigade of firemen. One of the most emotional things was when Greek firemen pulled out a Turkish boy from under the rubble, and he was mm-hmm. alive. And all the Turkish newspapers said, thank you in Greek. So we built on uh, this opportunity, and uh, not only that, but I think what we saw, both myself and Ismail uh, on the other side, was that in dealing with these kinds of problems, or any kind of problem, Mm -hmm. the more you include people in making and owning 
mm -hmm. the solution or owning the the, the whole process of, of change, the more you are affected. So what happened is all of a sudden uh, people took this on themselves. So diplomacy was not between two foreign ministers. Diplomacy started to be between people, between citizens, and that was what we called people's diplomacy. And it was great. I mean, it was, you know, ended up being writing common cookbooks, you know, Greek and Turkish recipes, or soap operas where Greek women would marry Turkish men or the opposite, and so on, and people watch it, or musicians, or football and basketball games together, women's associations, local government, business to business, and then that ended up also as a really important cooperation in many areas. We also saw that, you know, working together, we could be influential for peace in the region, the Balkans. The Balkans had, just at that time, had the Kosovo War, oh, they right. split up, so we started working on humanitarian issues. We tried to get a message of peace to the Middle East. We went together to meet with Arya Sharon and Yasser Arafat. So it, you could, we, we were able to show that these were important things. The Olympic Games, we're at Atlanta now, the basic reason the Olympic Games ever took place in ancient Greece was to create peace. Hmm. It was three cities that were warring amongst each other. They decided that they had to ask the think tank of the time, which was mm -hmm. Delphi, the Oracle. Uh, yes. And <laughs> they, um, the Oracle said, well, why don't you organize big festival and they went to Olympia and it was a festival of culture and games and they decided that they signed they actually signed a peace agreement that said every time we do the Olympics mm -hmm. we will have no fighting and no wars and it was a peace agreement that held for over a thousand years so we thought let's let's renew this and we signed a, a declaration Ismail and myself mm -hmm. and we went around the world to get signatures and we got Bill Clinton to sign it and Simon Perez and Yasser Arafat and Nelson Mandela, very important personalities. So it just shows that out of a small window of opportunity, if you really build on it, you can create a momentum and uh, hopefully bring out the best in people. It's an amazingly powerful message. So this is a good time to go on break with the thought of how do we as leaders big companies, small companies, government leaders, NGOs, nonprofits, and people who are informally leaders. What are we doing to bring out the best in others and create alliance? Alliance with, it's easy to create alliance with people we know and like. It is much harder to create alliance with people we don't know, and even worse or harder with people we don't like, seen as, quote, enemies. Uh, and yet, your example is certainly the beautiful model for it is not only possible, but incredibly beneficial. And if we go to the, the idea of values, it, it is ethical. It's yes. ethically good to, to create a peaceful, harmonious, to the extent we can, environment and world. Yes. So let's go on break and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. 
As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're with George Papandreou, former Prime Minister of Greece. And so before break, we were talking about building on strengths to build bridges, alliances between governments, between people, between communities. And you were talking a little bit about the courage that takes and skill, even if if you, you're not going to go next door and necessarily shake hands and all is good. So how did you go about it and... Um, specifically with an eye for recommendations that people listening to the show can take on to move forward in with dissonance in their lives? Well, we recognized that we did have differences and uh, that they were differences were in approaches, uh, what we saw differences. The, uh, for example, the island of Cyprus is a divided island. Northern part was occupied by Turkey some decades ago. It's still divided, and we knew this was a very difficult issue to solve. So we said, "Well, let's begin by talking about the issues where we could build trust, and then get to the thornier issues, okay, and talk about them and see if we can actually solve these." So there will be differences in, in, in interests, mm-hmm. and these are usually the underlying problems, and then a lot more created, a lot more problems are created. But I think what's important is to actually identify the interests of both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, because sometimes what I felt was when I met with my counterpart, mm-hmm. I said, you know, I feel a threat because you've got this big army right by our islands and you can just sort of engulf one and you know, take it over and we have to be you know, ready with our air force. And then he looked at me and said, no, we're not going to do that. But, uh, but we're very worried because if you look around Turkey, there's this arc of these Orthodox nations, mm. and we feel surrounded. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, there, was, there were two different approaches, and we were, we were looking and seeing, well, what are our common interests? Because this, these were sort of maybe, maybe overblown uh, images of 
That's right, that we may have. And maybe if we looked at the actual interest, that the problem was not so big, or at least we could sit down and try to solve it. Mm-hmm. So I think, first of all, identifying the real interests, seeing where we can work together, seeing where there are differences, and if there are differences, being able to say, well, let's see if we can deal these, with these mm-hmm. in a peaceful way. Uh, so I'm not, don't want to say that it's just a simple, you know, uh, <laughs> right. touchy-feely kind of <laughs> yeah, a thing. Yeah, fairy dust and no, it's all it's, good. No, that's not going to happen. It has to, mm-hmm. You have to be bold, you have to be open, you have to be, but building trust, having open dialogue, and creating the space where you can actually talk about the more difficult issues is a first step, which may lead to actual solutions and win-win situations. So what is your proudest moment as Prime Minister? And post that, right? Because you've left that and now you're doing something else. Well, uh, maybe the happiest moment was when I was elected because uh, that was before I had to uh, take on all the very difficult mm-hmm. burden of dealing with the crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a number of moments, I think, when, when I was able to actually push through some important reforms and mm-hmm. see them, and when you see them actually having a result, so reform in education and higher education, okay. which have opened up universities, bringing in transparency into the public sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew there was money wasted, sometimes even corruption. So I decided that what we should do is put everything online, all expenditures mm. online, mm-hmm. from central government to local government, federal government, we don't have federation, but central mm-hmm. government to local government. And um, so we had this, and all of a sudden everybody saw where the money was going. It was funny sometimes because people wondered why you paying for this or that. Mm-hmm. But it was also very useful because then we could say, well, this is costing us too much or something's mm-hmm. going, something's fishy here. Let's see how change it. Or, for example, I remember we had a huge problem in the pension system because in Greece, the patients that go for medical prescriptions uh, go to doctors and then they, they build the pension system. And what was happening was we were having multinationals giving kickbacks to doctors, mm. and they were over-prescribing, and that was bad for their health. It was also mm-hmm. bad for the health of the pension system. So we put in e-prescriptions, electronic prescriptions, so online prescriptions, mm-hmm. and the doctors had to basically say why they, for that ailment, not without the name of the mm-hmm. patient, why that, for that, like they gave that specific. Mm. And that simple act cut the cost by 50%. Wow, that's is, massive. And... Um, I would say, you know, other countries should now look at that too, mm-hmm. because medical costs sometimes are very high. Mm-hmm. The um, that was for us, it was three billion. May not sound very much for in the U.S., but what it was in Greece is basically all as much as we get in all property taxes. Wow! So at times when uh, when I could see these types of reforms moving, mm-hmm. it would be this would be very very positive. Bringing women into um, positions of power. Mm-hmm. I, it was the first first cabinet that had. Not 50%, but one-third women. But it was the first time we had wow. top positions of the government. So From none to a third? Well, it wasn't a none. None. There were one or two sometimes. Okay. But there were now, I think, uh, about nine, eight, nine women okay. that were involved. And that was a big, a big change, and uh, I was very proud of that, too. Hmm. So what's next for you? Well, I sometimes in life you let time sort of, uh, need the time to sort of think through. I continue to be... Uh, active. I am mm-hmm. head of an organization which is called the Socialist International now, and for the American audience, the word socialist is a taboo word, but it's, mm-hmm. or has been anyway now, yeah. with Bernie Sanders and less mm-hmm. so, but a democratic socialist, which means basically a progressive uh, person who wants to see you know, more equality, 
uh, wants to see more uh, justice and, uh, and, and very democratic and open societies. So we are about 150 parties around the world, mm-hmm. all the progressive labor parties and the democratic parties around the world, from the uh, ANC, Mandela's party, mm-hmm. to um, the Labour Party in Israel, in the UK, mm-hmm. in Chile, in Mexico, uh, the Congress Party in India, mm-hmm. uh, European parties, NDP in Canada. So there are 150 parties and about 50 of them are in government. So that's one thing I do. But what I'm hoping to do is, and that's one of the reasons why I'm here at this leadership conference, is to find a beautiful Greek island, uh, we have many, that is willing to host a leadership center where we can bring in young leaders from the area mm-hmm. where we live in. And mm-hmm. Greece is a stable country, but we are surrounded by uh, areas which have a lot of problems. So the Balkans, Turkey, mm-hmm. uh, Ukraine, the Black Sea, the Middle East, mm-hmm. Syria, um, Egypt, Libya. Uh, I would like to see the, in the Mediterranean uh, young leaders get together, talk about leadership issues, how we can change, how we can bring peace, how we can go from a conflict mode to a more diverse and tolerant society, and between us, but also within societies, and really make that area uh, a very positive, peaceful, and, and growing, prosperous, and sustainable mm-hmm. in, green, mm-hmm. in the green terms, green, mm-hmm. green energy, and so on, area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one of my, my sort of dreams, which I'm mm-hmm. working on right now. You know, if, if I think of legacy, that seems massive. It, it, it is massive. Being in education and educating uh, leaders who will tomorrow play important roles in their societies mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully positive ones uh, is, I think, um, an important contribution. I myself, with whatever experience I have accumulated, will be able to use that, but I'm going to bring in other people with experience mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. either academic or research, but also practitioners who will be um, helping out in this type of uh, an activity. Yeah, and if you sometimes, you know, you say if you can save one life or if you can uh, make a small difference, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that makes you very, very, very happy. And so, yeah, in Greece, I had to take very difficult decisions as a leader at, mm-hmm. uh, during the financial crisis, mm-hmm. but I was able to save Greece from bankruptcy. It was a very painful for people, and it was painful for me to pay, make those decisions. But if I had been able to, I did, uh, save lots of people even more pain mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. what they uh, sustained uh, with this adjustment process, that's something that I, I feel a uh, contribution. I made some some important contribution. Oh, huge to save a country from bankruptcy. Yeah. Can you share one or two things that you did that allowed that to happen. So maybe biggest lessons learned, again, that our listeners can maybe implement in their own lives. I realize it's a different scale, country to job, but it's it's still applicable, I think, for many people. Well, in many countries, uh, we we are, I think all countries, because of Mm -hmm. the globalizing economy, are being put under pressure to adapt and change. Sometimes the type of adaptation is is one that creates cleavages and fragmentation and injustices. So you feel, people feel alienated. I see it here in the United States, mm-hmm. politics of the United mm-hmm. States, but it's in Europe, it's in many of the countries where people mm-hmm. feel there's a loss, there's a betrayal, there's a lack of prospect. Mm-hmm. People who had a sense that they could have access to education or a secure mm-hmm. job, uh, a better standard of living, 
are now feeling that um, companies are leaving, they're outsourced, and so on. So what we need to do is, what I have seen, is that countries that have strong institutions, strongly democratic institutions that really can represent the sort of average Main Street man or woman, countries that are very transparent, countries that um, also have important safety nets, are the ones that can adapt more easily to the mm -hmm. pressures of this globalizing economy. Because what you need to do is be able to protect people from risks. Okay, they have to take risks, but also be able mm -hmm. to make sure they don't fall off a cliff. And then also help them when they change. So it's education, retraining, mm -hmm. and so on. So what I see in, in the world is making our societies more just individually is important. And then secondly, what's very important is to see how we cooperate between countries. What I took away from the crisis in Greece was mm -hmm. this was just not a Greek crisis only. Right. It was right. quite a Greek crisis. So we had to do we had to do our own homework, our own mm -hmm. work mm -hmm. at home, and, and make sure we were transparent and used the money better and mm -hmm. invested well and uh, opened up to global investment and so on. But at the same time, this was a global problem. This was a financial crisis mm -hmm. that hit the banks around the world. Mm -hmm. Markets were scared. The rating agencies had uh, you know, overrated AAA bonds here in the United States. They were now overcompensating and um, you know cutting us down all the time, mm -hmm. saying we're mm -hmm. going gonna to show we're really tough. And there are other issues too, climate change, pandemics. We need to see how we cooperate together. And that, that was going to be my next question, is what is keeping you up at night? Given what you've learned and the impact you want to make, then the thing in the middle is what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night is that facing these difficult problems and some of the pains that mm -hmm. our societies are going through, and many of us are feeling, uh, there are those that promise false solutions. Too easy, maybe, but that makes it uh, welcomed because people like to, it's logical, it's human, human nature. If you can offer me a very simple solution, I'll take it. But these simple solutions are no solutions. So what I see is this growth of a fear, yeah. Uh, of politics of fear, uh, of demagoguery, of um, trying to scapegoat, you know, the other is the, the problem, sometimes denying what some of the real problems are. And uh, that has created more of a tribalism or nativism, fearing of the other. And we, at this point now, need, I look, people always off, off, often look, now we need, people look, when they look for these types of, when they have these insecurities and uncertainty, they think that sort of an authoritarian type of leader mm -hmm. will, be, will be the solution. And I think that's the opposite. We don't need to build walls. We need more mm -hmm. cooperation. Climate change, for example, is not going to be stopped by any kind of a wall. Right. Uh, even refugees will not be. Mm -hmm. Pandemics will not be stopped by walls. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need to cooperate. Secondly, we need to build solutions based on research, science, facts. Yeah. Uh, and we need to uh, build up a sense of solidarity with problems around the world. That is the challenge, and mm -hmm. uh, I feel that if we don't live up to that, then we will see a more fragmented mm -hmm. uh, world. I would make it, I'd give sort of a, a bit of, a, of an example of what I mean. Again, going to the Olympics. Well, the Olympics is based on the idea of fair competition mm -hmm. with rules. It's mm -hmm. rule-based. You win if you're a good athlete. You win if you compete well and you're on, on your merits, not mm -hmm. because you've got power, not because you have from some family, not because mm -hmm. you are rich, mm -hmm. it's because you will, you know, you did well. And not only that, but it promotes a sense of, of peace, you know, mm -hmm. this is fair competition, it's also peaceful competition. 
the ancient Roman arena was the opposite. That's the where gladiators. you throw in gladiators, you throw in the fight. It's, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a reality show for blood. Reality, it's not just a show. And uh, who wins is basically, or who dies, is it the whim of the, you know, the crowd, or maybe even more so the whim of the emperor. So this is uh, power for power's sake, no rules really. And I would not want to see our globe looking like an arena, like a Roman arena. I would like it mm -hmm. much more, see it more like mm -hmm. the Olympic Games, where we have common values, we respect each other, fair competition, and mm -hmm. peaceful competition. So that was where we started, common values. Yes. Building collaboration across boundaries. And I, I ask with the voice of the listener, for some people this seems so unattainable. It, they may live in a community that's at odds the, um, with drugs and heroin overdoses and all of the things that folks face in their daily lives. What one thing or two things, and I, I realize it's a much more complex issue than this, but if I am an in individual who wants to do something, and yet I don't know where to start, mm. and I don't, it has to be at a scale that I can navigate in my life. Well, at first you... First one has to little think about their own self and what their own values are and think about them. You'd be critical about them also, but what, what is it that inspires you? And look around and see what you see as um, problems, injustices, difficulties, and work on that now. But I would say work on that not through creating more hatred or more animosity or more divisions. Mm -hmm. See how you can mobilize the best in people mm -hmm. uh, to work together to solve these problems. Try to get deeper into why problems exist. Um, so if there are drug problems, you know, one people, somebody could say, well, put them in jail. Well, is that the solution? Uh, I know in Greece, when we put people in jail, they just find drugs in jail. So that's not solving mm -hmm. the problem. And not only that, you basically deny them the possibility of maybe rehabilitating or becoming, you know, or, or dealing with if they're hard drugs. Uh, so th there are different types of mm -hmm. solutions we need to look at. I would say also that if we look around, sometimes in our communities, we can find examples of solutions. Mm -hmm. If it's not in our community, we can look at mm -hmm. other communities in our countries or look around the world and see what other people have done. There's a lot of innovation. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of experimentation and democracy our democracies, we should think of politics because we think of, of innovation usually mm -hmm. in industry, mm -hmm. in science, in technology. We should think of politics as an area for innovation. Now, you can't experiment on people like you would do in a lab, uh, but you can think of the experiments, the live experiments that already exist mm -hmm. and think about that. And, we maybe, and if you want to think of a smartphone or an iPhone or an Android or whatever, let's think of this platform, which would be the common values, and keep those common values, but then mm -hmm. let all these applications grow. Mm -hmm. So actually, creating a framework of common values mm -hmm. is not something that's going to constrain us. It will allow fertile ground mm -hmm. for thousands and thousands of new ideas mm -hmm. to help solve problems in our lives. So a liberating structure. That's right. Some Lib structure sets us free structure, to... We need a structure, but it has to be a structure that sets us free and opens up our creativity.
Thank you. I'm just deeply grateful that you would spend time with us and I'm very happy to also. share your insights with our listeners. Thank and you. we would love to hear from you as our listeners. Please let us know as what George has inspired you to change in your lives. Email me at info at metcalf-associates.com or write something on our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. What are your experiments and what results are you getting? I'd like to thank Prime Minister Papandreou for joining us today. I wanted to sum up some of the things I heard specifically relating to how do we take what we've heard from him today talking about running a country and convert them to how do I lead within an organization, a family, or a community? How do companies we work with and lead adapt to change? And how do we adapt and change our roles? So here are some of the recommendations I heard. Identify the interest of both parties, so interest and concerns of both. Second, what injustices do you observe that you want to work on by mobilizing the best people to solve these problems? Third, where is there a shared interest and what actions can both parties take to build trust and strengthen the relationship and move toward positive outcomes? Fourth, when there are differences, where can we work together in a mutually beneficial way? Fifth, looking at what others are doing effectively, what are the best examples within our industry or others within science or other research that have solved these problems or similar problems before? Sixth, what's the platform we maintain and what do we change? So similar to the conversation with Dr. Heifetz, what within our history absolutely is a must go forward and what needs to be refined or left behind? And so the question is, how do we maintain our values and compassion? And yet, what do we discontinue? What are the experiments that we can take to improve our environment and our lives? And eighth, what clear actions can we take based on our shared values that continually build on the foundation of trust and mutual respect? that we're building, including with the broader population. So not just focusing on senior leaders, but as he illustrated in building relationships between Greece and Turkey, it was aid workers and it was normal people who began to build those relationships. So this is a top down from leaders, but it's also very importantly, a bottom up approach to change. And both of those need to be intact concurrently to make the biggest impact. So then those alliances support the common interests and as many individuals as possible move these changes forward. So as we start these shows, we talk about leaving each one with a takeaway considering what can we experiment within the next week or month to try on behaviors we've heard through the shows. And so I do encourage you to pick something out that you heard from Prime Minister Papadreo that you might apply in your environment. So do you have people or organizations that you struggle with? Where can you find common interests? Where can you find a third party who might be able to be an alliance that you would not have previously considered? As leaders, where are you modeling the change you want to see? And where should you be modeling it more? Are you missing opportunities to be the citizen diplomat and the leader who is setting the example that will speak much more loudly than your speeches. Another key factor is creating transparency and liberating structures. So how do you sustain the change, putting structures in place that unlock the energy of people to drive this shift? So as you're revisiting the interview and thinking about what can you take forward, 
Are you being transparent? Are you putting structures in place that allow the changes you're making to stick within your organization? For me, this was a really rich interview, lots of takeaways. I hope so for you as well, and that you'll be able to put some of these ideas into practice in your everyday life. I realize that often it's easy to say somebody's in a extremely senior role and that's not going to apply to me. And yet part of the reason I'm choosing leaders like this is they are so exceptional. And how do we learn from those who have accomplished so much and bring that into our lives so that we become that exception? Thank you very much for joining the show. And we would like to ask for your feedback. Please let us know what's working, what's not working, what you would like to hear more of. You can either respond to me at info at metcalf-associates.com or on my Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Your input's really important to us. And the more we hear from you, the better we are able to shape this show to match what you value. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.